Hello, and welcome to the We Too podcast. We are a group of graduate students at the University of Florida who are committed to connecting survivors of sexual violence. With the rise of the Me Too movement, sexual violence is finally being brought to light. Every 98 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. 30% of women worldwide who have been married or in a consensual union have experienced physical or sexual violence at the hands of their partner. This is a public health concern because this violence can lead to outcomes such as pregnancy or even depression. Today we are here with Carmen Diana Deer, who is a distinguished professor emerita of Latin American Studies and Food and Resource Economics at the University of Florida. She is an honorary professor emerita of the Latin American Faculty of Social Science in Quito. She holds a PhD in Agricultural Economics from the University of California, Berkeley, and an MA in Developmental Studies from the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy. She recently wrote an article for UF News that stressed the importance of shining a light on the conjugal violence against women, especially in the wake of the Me Too movement. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Carmen Diana Deer. So we are here with Dr. Carmen Diana Deer, the Distinguished Professor Emerita of Latin American Studies and Food and Resource Economics at the University of Florida. How are you today? Good. Good. Okay. So just tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. Okay. I'm a recently retired faculty member. I was at the, the Center for Latin American Studies for 11 years, first as director and then working primarily in the area of gender and economics. Mm -hmm. I'm an economist by training. Very awesome. cool. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So we loved your article about the importance of shining a light on conjugal violence against women, especially in the wake of the hashtag MeToo movement. So can you tell us a little bit more about this and what made you decide to write this article? Okay, the shorter, the long version. Long version. <laughs> We're ready. Whatever you'd like to say. Yes. Okay. Uh, the, the long version is that most of my work in recent years within gender and economics has been on gender and women's ownership of assets okay. or property. You know, what difference does it make if a woman's a homeowner or, or a landowner? Mm -hmm. And um, it was really that work that took me into the, the area of, of gender violence because we started to see in, um, in the literature that most studies had concentrated on women's economic position, you know, whether or not they're in the labor force, um, you know, how much their income was relative to, uh, to their spouse. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, there'd been very little research done on what difference being a property owner made. Mm. And we kept thinking, well, hmm, if you know, income and labor force participation are, are so important, um, owning property is a lot more tangible yeah, mm -hmm, because definitely. if you're you know, a homeowner, you've got some wealth, so you've got a stronger backup position if, if something happens. Mm -hmm. right, right, right. So we first started looking at this in our qualitative work um, overseas. In, in my case, um, well, the study that I was working on, on on gender or women's ownership of assets was a three-country study comparing Ecuador, Ghana, and a state in, in India. So we spent about six months doing qualitative work before doing this big survey. Mm -hmm. And that was really an eye-opener 
because all of these sort of hypotheses that we had sort of put together on our own, because at that point there really had not been much literature, you know, we saw in our focus groups and in our interviews, uh, and it really seemed that if you know, woman was a, a homeowner or landowner, um, she was in a much more powerful position to leave an abusive relationship, wow. you know, than women that didn't own property. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this was the case because what keeps women in relationships is, you know, the fear that they can't support themselves mm-hmm. and their children right. or that they don't have any place to go. Mm-hmm. So if you own a separate dwelling, you know, that takes care of a big problem. You know, you've got directly where to go. Right. Uh, but even in the case that you have joint ownership with, with your spouse, uh, it puts you in a much stronger position because you become less fearful. You know, you know that you're going to have assets to, to take with you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you split up, even if you have to sell the house, you know, you're going to have enough to assure yourself some kind of a, um, of a base. Mm-hmm. So that's what we then um, tested by including questions on intimate partner violence in, in the survey that we did in, in all three countries. Okay. And then wrote, you know, a number of, of analyses uh, based on mm-hmm. them. So that's what took me down this yeah. road. Was it, was it yeah. interesting to see any differences? Because those, those countries, they do sound vastly different. When you're oh, talking yeah. about Ecuador, Ghana, and India, they seem yeah. very different in their, how they live their lives, their culture, yeah. and everything. So did you have a vastly different results in all the countries? You know, we did in some surprising ways. Right, because Ecuador is uh, it's considered a high income country. Right. You know, whereas India and Ghana are are middle income countries. Mm-hmm. You know, much poorer actually in terms of per capita income. Uh, we did find that in Ecuador, women own a much larger share of the wealth. In fact, it's it's forty four percent. Wow. Okay, so great. it's that's it's awesome. close to equality. Yeah. And you compare that with Ghana, where it's nineteen percent, and then yeah. India nine percent. Okay. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so really striking differences. Mm-hmm. But you look at IPV intimate partner violence, and it's about the same okay. in all three countries. You know, so wow. there isn't. And we know this worldwide, you know, the comparing advanced countries and less developed countries, mm-hmm. that domestic violence doesn't disappear with right. the level of income. Yeah, yeah. And then looking within each country, uh, you also have you know, the same problem. You know, domestic abuse, low-income folks, middle-income, and, and high-income. Right. Mm-hmm. But what we did find was that our, our model which was you know, expecting to see that as women's share of a couple wealth increased, um, that at least the incidence of physical violence would decrease, only really worked for Ecuador. Uh, in the case of Ghana, it wasn't a significant predictor. Hmm. Interesting, okay. And we didn't actually do the study in, in India because it didn't collect the, the domestic violence information. Ah, okay. So. You know, how we explain that is thinking, well, maybe you need to, women need to have a certain level um, of wealth. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you, ha- you have to reach sort of a certain level of general equality. Maybe it's after 20%, you 
you know, that woman really mm-hmm. acquires some kind of, of bargaining power. Right. So that's why we got strong results for our country, but, you know, not yeah, in uh, right. the case of Ghana. Yeah. yeah. But in Ghana, it predicted um, emotional or psychological violence. Oh, wow. Whereas in Ecuador, it did not. Okay. Wow. So, yeah, as women's share increased, the, yeah, the rate or the incidence of um, psychological violence decreased. Wow. Okay. Hmm. So it, it was interesting. Yeah, it really was, you yeah. know. The, and we also found that in the case of Ecuador, that poor women had the highest incidence of physical violence, okay. right? But upper class women had the highest incidence of emotional violence. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. So, okay. Yeah. You know, so it seemed mm. that the, the main factor of, of household wealth or social class you know, was that you still had abuse of women, mm-hmm. but there was the social a different limits. dynamic. Yeah, yeah. You know, wow. worked a, a bit better. Wow. So um, did um? Do you know what for those countries like Ecuador, um, Ghana, and India? Do they have resources like we have in the United States for um women in um in violent situations? So would they have anywhere like we were talking about peaceful paths before we started recording, um, but do they did they have any um, resources or do you know if like they have as many resources as we do? Well, that's why I started volunteering at peaceful right. paths, you know, to learn about what we offer in yeah. the, the U.S. and uh, the peaceful path you know, shelter here in town would be like a. Hilton Hotel. Oh my gosh. <laughs> in Ecuador, not to mention Ghana and, right, and right. India. Mm-hmm, yeah, right. we have incredibly rich resources in this community. Yeah. In the U.S., you know, in general, of course, yeah. compared to, to Latin America or other parts of the world. Right. Um, but there have been tremendous advances. You know, most countries now at least have domestic violence on the books. Right. You know, or gender-based violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the, the last two decades, the legislation has even been getting stronger. That's great, yeah. You know, so uh, in Latin America, we're probably far ahead in that region compared to Africa or, mm-hmm. or Asia. Right. Uh, because you've had, you know, when you do have... Uh, shelters you know, for victims of, of abuse. And, you know, and governments are, you know, they're recognizing it as a problem and starting to put a little bit more money in and training because training right. is so yes. important. Oh, that's for, great. You know, for judges and police staff. Right. The other thing that Latin America pioneered were women's police stations. Oh, that's cool. You know, wow. that are just specifically aimed at, you know, for women and wow. particularly reporting uh, gender-based wow, uh, okay. violence. So, so that's been another you know, step that's huge. forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, but that's it's still very difficult, you know, for for most poor women to get the kind of support right. and services, you know, and then yeah. to get any support to actually leave a relationship, mm-hmm. which is what you often, you know, need to do. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's what a lot of people struggle with, right? Yeah. Um, so also in your um, in the article, you talked a lot about gender inequalities. Um, so how greatly do gender inequalities contribute to violence against women? Boy, I'd say it's the foundation of it. Right, right. <laughs> you yes, know, in, in every way. You, you know, first, um, 
when we think about just the, the very biological differences between men and women, you know, mm -hmm. and the fact that, um, you yeah, know, that women usually are not as strong. Right. You know, they're smaller, tend physically, to be smaller yeah, yeah. physically. Um, so you take that, that basic you know, physiological difference and then you put power mm -hmm. over it. You know, right. That's when it becomes gender violence in right. the sense of you know, violence because a woman you know, is a woman you know, and among them that she's physically weaker. Right. So when a man has no other way to impose his will, yeah, you know, he's got a resource mm -hmm. that that women don't have. Right, yeah, that's a, a big know. one. Put it like that too. A re literally a resource. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, you know, then when you think of all the predictive factors mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, of, of gender violence, mm -hmm. you know, they're I mean they're also you know, skewed by by gender. Uh, well, both the predictive factors, you know, for example, alcohol consumption. Mm. Yeah, you know, there there's a big gender difference because of you know, different constructions of masculinities and femininities. Yeah. You know, so it's men that tend to drink too much mm -hmm. and for latent aggressive tendencies to come out right. you know, with alcohol. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, women are socialized so it's not proper for them to drink as much mm -hmm. as men. Right, right. right. Maybe non university. Yeah, culture. yeah, maybe so much. <laughs> Put a few caveats. <laughs> yes, right, right, of course. Right. <laughs> wow, yeah. You know, on that. But, you know, there is sort of that gender difference. You know, women are looked down upon right. Right, for being a drunk. Right, right, right. You know, right, right. Yeah. Not the same way. You know, that, that a man. I think they're yeah. they're also looked down upon if they say anything about a man drinking. Yeah. You know, if you try to say anything about his habits, or even if you're the one in an abusive relationship, even right. if you say anything about that, it's yeah. looked down upon about that because women just don't have the power. No. Yeah. Yeah, it all goes together. Yeah, right. definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Um, so, Alachua County here in Florida has the second highest rates of sexual violence. Um, in your article, you mentioned some community level risk factors for sexual violence against women that include high neighborhood unemployment, poverty, crime rates, a high proportion of illiteracy, and a presence of individuals who justify intimate partner violence. So at the community level, where should we start and how can we prevent this type of violence within our community, like specifically in Alachua County? The big question, I guess. Yes. <laughs> so, it is a, a big question and that statistic is really alarming. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, who would have thought? Right. Um, so I'd be interested in, in seeing if anyone has done studies in terms of trying to see what factors you know, single out the, right. the county compared mm -hmm. to, to others. Because, right. you know, we do have a high poverty rate. We do. You know, much higher than one would think living in a university community. Right. Uh, tremendous inequalities mm -hmm. between different parts of... East Gainesville and yeah. versus, yeah. You know, the, the rest. Right. Uh, you know, and those are, we see it in the schooling, the quality of education, right. school completion rates, you know, all these other factors mm -hmm. that, are, that are predictors. Mm -hmm. um, you know, luckily, we do have some great resources yes. you know, that are actually uh, focusing on it. Mm -hmm. um, so, not sure what else... You yeah. Know, right, right. So do you it's do you think that target. maybe yeah. the best way to to start working on it would be to address those 
higher level factors like poverty in in the community do you think that would be a good place to start you know i think these things have to be done in a parallel fashion okay yeah you know you have to address structural conditions Mm because if you want long-lasting change you know it's really important to tackle you know lower opportunities Mm -hmm. you know in east gainesville uh you know unemployment education you know all of these but but I think that you've also you can't stop there and wait till you take care of all of those to right. deal with uh, you know the the level of prevalence mm-hmm. that that statistic suggests. So that means both awareness campaigns. You know, I think those are tremendously important. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, one of the things from from Ecuador um, is that we did our survey. The year, or just at the end of a year-long campaign that the government had done on reducing gender violence, Mm. and every means of public transportation, every bus, Mm -hmm. um, municipal trucks, et cetera, had these big signs on them that said, gender violence is machismo. And, you know, just that circulating around for a year made people much more open to to talk, you know, when we did mm-hmm. our survey, uh, first I was nervous going, boy, these are really intimate questions. You right. Know, people <laughs> yeah. to, but people had been hearing this, you know, been on the radio, there had been radio and TV right. slots, and then all these buses, because right. there it's, uh, it's not as common for people to have cars, so you see right. buses with mm-hmm. their big signs um, a lot. So we found that at least... You know, we interviewed 3,000 households, so you know, wow. It's, wow. it was a yeah. national sample. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, people were talking That's about great. it. Yeah, That's and, awesome. you know, the Ecuadorians on the team were saying, hey, people were much more open. Right. You know, which we think we attributed to the campaign. Mm-hmm. Right. We also found in our own survey that the incidence of physical violence was less than we expected. Right. And psychological violence was much higher okay. than we had expected. Okay. And both of those could have also been related to the campaign. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the yeah, fact yeah. that women were now saying, oh, you know, now I know that his yelling at me all the time and threatening right. me right. is not right. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I've got a name for it that's right. called emotional abuse, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, or psychological yeah. Yeah, yeah, violence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. Um, and maybe it had. You know, maybe it was a factor in reducing the physical oh, violence. Yeah. You know, because men were being embarrassed every day, saying violence is machismo, mm-hmm. you know, and right. this is not good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, so, well, then the incidents went up a couple of years later. Uh, you know, so. <laughs> cyclical. It's, it's, cyclical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's not a permanent thing, but right. I think that campaigns, and it also tells us you can't stop. You can't just Absolutely. do one yeah. shot things. Right. Yeah. But you've got to somehow incorporate that, you know, in, well, into the curriculum. Mm-hmm. You know, I think schools are. Uh, that'd be huge. Yeah, yeah. That's got to be part, you know, public health mm-hmm. in terms of. Um, you know, what do we call it now? Is it sexual education? What do they do uh, or not do yeah. in the schools? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I don't know if they do it. Yeah, but that's that's what it's. Yeah, that's what they call it. Yeah, yeah it's supposed to be. Right. You know, when you're thinking in terms of what are the most important things for kids to learn. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, you know, gender relations have to be part of it. Yeah. You don't teach it. Yeah. And I think you, I think you brought up a good point of something that we talk about a lot in our public health classes is that you don't want to just drop in and do something and then leave mm-hmm. because that's not going to fix the problem. So finding right. a sustainable solution that's, that's going right. to have lasting effects. That's of not, like a you campaign. know, once yeah. you come in and do all this amazing work and then right. you leave and it's, you know, kind of gone again. So how, you know, yeah. making sure that we can have that balance is a good, definitely yeah. a good stepping stone, I think. Yeah. And similarly too, um, in like you talk about in that campaign they had on the buses, we talk about in this, this course that we are doing this podcast for, um, we talk about what makes things viral and how do we get a campaign that works mm-hmm. and people can um, really pay attention to. Yeah. So I think we talk a lot about how, for example, in like the ALS ice bucket challenge, did you hear about that? It was like on all of our social media and yeah. people, it was like either you donate or you have to dump a, bottle, a bucket of ice water on your head. And that <laughs> raised so much money because it, it was something that people didn't talk about and then suddenly it's everywhere, similarly to the IPV uh, messages on the buses in Ecuador. So yeah. we need to find a way to do that with... Um, with violence in our community, definitely. Absolutely. Um, so back to the article. Um, so you mentioned how the Violence Against Women Act of 1994 helped reduce IPV um, up to 21% in just the first four years after its passage. So what kind of policy change should we advocate to further improve rates of violence against women? And do you think we will ever see a decrease in violence without policy change? Another big question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and there, yeah, to tell the truth, I've, I've never looked at what policies we have in place right. you know, here in the U.S. in terms of, of national. I know that it is a crime, right. but I'm not sure, is it federal or state? That's a good question. You know, I don't yeah. know how how all of this right mm-hmm. differs you know. from in the U.S. versus other countries. Right, right, yeah. right. yeah. And the same thing in terms of sexual harassment. Right. You know, we're just sort of starting to learn that, yes, it is part of Title IX. Title, yeah, maybe, that's a big one. You right, know? right. And then maybe it's, you know, there's a, the Employment Act. Right. Um, but I think on that one, you'd have to go over to the law school. Right, yeah. right. Yes. Definitely. Very true, very you know, true. to figure out what are the... What's the best, like, policy. Yeah. It's always hard, especially as, like, in politics, everything's shifting, yeah. especially now, especially yeah. November 6th is coming up. Yeah. Um, well, I think yeah. it's... I think it, the... Will we ever see a decrease in violence without policy change is a tough question because we see things in public health or in mm-hmm. just in general that... Mm-hmm policy change completely affects how right. how incidence rates of x y and z happen and then we mm-hmm. see things where other not policy change right. completely affects it so i think it's a matter of how you go about doing whatever your campaign is or your intervention is and yeah. i think policy changes could be a great tool right but there might there might be some things we could do right without mm-hmm. policy change that would make Definitely. a difference mm-hmm. yeah 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 Put our minds, put our public yeah. health thinking caps yes. on and yes. <laughs> put our minds to it. But, you know, like universal factors, you know, mm-hmm. what I see yes. in the strengthening of the laws in Latin right. America 
is first you know, making the different forms of gender violence against women a crime. That's you know, yeah, that's one. really right. yeah, yeah, the basis right. mm-hmm. for it. Um, and the same with sexual harassment. Right. You know the, and then it comes. Then the next problem is enforcing. I was it. just about to say. Yeah, yeah that's the hard know, part. And then that's two yep. sides. You know, right. then it's the whole justice system. Right. And making that accessible to to women. And the other side, which is just as difficult, making the kind of environment where women feel comfortable denouncing it, you right. know, where it's possible for right. them to, to denounce it. Right. So those are like two sides that I think absolutely require supportive policies. Definitely. Yeah, Definitely. which might be, you know, rather than, well, no, it's laws because it's the funding. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the funding to make it possible whether yeah. it's the women's police stations or mm-hmm. the right, yeah. you know the public defenders that are yeah or prosecutors that are working on it and that's a good point too that in order to get funding for some things that you know it, it might have to be a policy yeah. policy issue if it's if you or want no if you want the funding for it you might right. not get money for it unless it's a policy yeah. right policy issue so yeah so multifaceted. I know. <laughs> so many know. different, yeah, different factors that to work play at. into it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what are some ways that we can support survivors of intimate partner violence, sexual trauma? What are some ways that we can support them? Well, you know, I think that the, that the community sort of multi-purpose support centers mm-hmm. have been a really good model in the in the U.S. and you know again going back to what Peaceful Paths offers, um, you know it's really a whole wide range of services, but right. legal assistance is mm-hmm. right there at, at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, second is support, you know, particularly the decision to to leave the the husband or the the abuser is, uh, you know, women need a place to go. Definitely. So the shelters play a tremendous role. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, then there's all the factors. You know, usually women who finally come in, it's because they've been enduring years of oh, abuse yeah. in in many cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have little financial dependence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in many cases. Um, yeah, they don't know what other services are, are available. Yeah, how do you go about applying for food stamps? Yeah. How do you go about you know, getting into a training program? And I'm sure they've never been focused on that because they've just been trying to survive. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So those kinds of counseling services, mm-hmm. um, you know, just to, you know, to, to get the assistance you need to figure out how to go about getting assistance right. is <laughs> often you know, like a major stumbling yeah. block. Right. So providing all of those. Um, they also do a lot of stuff related with kids. Because, okay. you know, of course, if the, the mother has suffered abuse, oh. so have the kids. Right. And one Which of the is really... So unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. But one of the scary things is that among the factors that we find internationally, mm-hmm. you know, advanced countries, third world countries, that's a predictor for you being an abuser oh. is you either suffering child abuse mm-hmm. or seeing your father you know, beat your mother. Right. Right. Yeah. And so that just increases you know, your odds of being an abuser tremendously. Right. Yep. And then the same thing of having been a victim. 
Right. You know, if your mother was a victim, um, mm -hmm. then, you know, that also increases it. Definitely. So, you know, so it means that you've got to work with the kids. Right. Absolutely. If you're going to do anything intergenerationally Absolutely. to break those cycles. Mm -hmm. yeah. Are you familiar with the uh, adverse childhood experiences, ACEs? No, no. So it's a it's a huge topic of discussion right now in public health, and we're talking about it a lot in our classes. I think it's within the last maybe it's 10, recent. 20 years yeah. that they uh -huh. um, researchers have found that children who experience these adverse childhood events, mm -hmm. they are way more likely to have adverse health outcomes and adverse um, psychological life experience. Yeah. yeah, their, their sure. life course is severely altered by mm -hmm. these... Mm -hmm. childhood experiences that they've had and we've been talking a lot about it and it's been so incredibly eye-opening and it's one of those things where as soon as I learned about it I immediately thought why aren't everybody you know why yeah. isn't everyone talking about this it's yeah. exactly. breaking the cycle yeah. starts with them and it's it's yeah. it's difficult I think to reach children especially in situations like this with mm -hmm. violence difficult to think about how to reach children and bypass their parents because yeah. something that I thought of was if you're going to target the, the children, their parents need to be involved. But if the mm -hmm. parents think that maybe you're accusing them of being violent mm -hmm. or maybe they think the kid tattled on them, that might right. put the kid at more risk. Right. right. Or so how do you, you know, trying to balance all of that and make sure that the child is safe, but still yeah. mm -hmm. working mm -hmm. with them enough to break that cycle for them. It's, it's all so complex and so interesting. Yeah. That's why all of this has to be part of the school curriculum. Yeah. Definitely. Start when they're young. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. But it's so, I feel like it's so difficult, from what I've heard mm -hmm. at least, I haven't actually tried, yeah. but I feel like it's so difficult to mm -hmm. change the school curriculum in, in many states. It's right. so difficult to implement a new curriculum, mm -hmm. even just yeah. one tiny little thing. It's so and difficult. And they don't have any to, funding. Yeah, yeah, it's so hard to get yeah. it approved. Yeah, so. right. yeah. yeah. yeah definitely. Well, thank you so much. Yes, I thank you. That's that all was, our questions. Yeah. yeah this we has got been amazing. Thank you we so much. And yeah, it's so cool that you, so you have all this experience with um, like property ownership and gender inequalities and you have all this information. Now you can use it at Peaceful Paths too and yeah, giving back. Yeah, and that's what you're supposed to do in that's retirement. That's true. Right? <laughs> that's true. I Find love a way to use your skills. Yes. In yes. Way. yes. Yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, well, thank all you so I've been much doing again. peaceful paths up to now is helping them set up for like auctions. Everything, everything helps. helps. Yeah, yeah. any yeah. little thing, but it all that's helps. It. It's great. Yeah, you do yeah. whatever they need. You know? Right. Yeah. And as long as you know you're in retirement, doing something you enjoy. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. awesome. Well, thank you so much again. Yeah. Thank yes. you. Did you get enough? To I think so. Edit out. That was so great. <laughs> thank you.